Hello, hello, and welcome to Temple of the False Pod, where our decks are not optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. I'm not Andy. I'm Bruce. Uh, and where is Andy? Well, Andy is out taking pictures of food to use on his new food tokens. These gorgeous tokens are all one of a kind. One shot, that's it. If you're interested in buying some of these amazing objects, please check out the link in the notes below. I'm sure Andy will put it there. Right, Andy? All right, uh, so today uh, I had a little topic I want to talk about. Um, I want to talk about the some of the mechanics Wizards have been using in the last few years to encourage players, uh, particularly in multiplayer games, uh, to attack. Uh, in particular, I wanted to look at Goad, Monarch, and the Initiative. I wanted to sort of get a, I wanted to take this opportunity to look at each of them in turn and sort of get a sense of what what's good, what's bad, how it, how is it working now? Uh, what were the you know, looking at some of the intent and some of the ideas that Wizards had behind why they were doing this? I mean, all three of these abilities, the whole point is to encourage players to attack. Now, this comes from a multiplayer uh, game gameplay situation. Um, for those of us who are around playing Commander and prior to Commander, any other multiplayer version of Magic. Um, Attacking is just not the best way to use your creatures. For the most part, when you attack with your creatures, you are tapping them. You get to use them once per round. They attack in, they either do damage or they don't. You risk them because you are attacking into something. You don't know exactly what the defense is. You don't know how they're going to choose to block or if they'll choose to block. There's all kinds of risk that goes with this. And like I said, you get one shot and they're tapped. So they're not available to block on each of those three opponent's turns. So in the greater scheme of things, just looking at it very, very generally, it's better not to attack. It's better not to swing with your creatures. Your creatures are much more effective if they're blocking. Sure, they don't do anything on your turn, but they, they could be doing something on each of your opponent's turns, which makes it three times more effective for your creatures to not attack. It also means you're not taking those risks that come with attacking. So when you look at a multiplayer game, this is why so many of these games, especially in, especially in the older times when these incentives to attack weren't really there, the only reason to attack is if you know you're going to be able to overwhelm the opponent. You know you're going to win. This is why cards like Crater Hoof and, and Going Way Back and Overrun the plan wasn't that you would attack a little bit each turn and whittle their life total down. The plan was you would build up your defenses and, and turtle and try and prevent people from swinging at you and discouraging any kind of attacks and not attacking until you could guarantee a win with a single swing, which is why cards like Craterhoof and, and Overrun were so popular. So that's sort of the difficulty. And that's what Wizards was looking at. Like, how do we make this multi if this multiplayer format is something that we're going to uh, embrace? How do we how do we make it more active? Because Wizards wants you to use your creatures. They want you to swing. They spent a lot of time making making tournament level play and one on one play, where you would be encouraged to swing with your creatures. And one on one, it does make sense. Yes, you might not have the creature to block on the next turn, but you're swinging now, so the creature is being useful half of the time. So 
Sometimes it makes sense to keep them back on defense. Sometimes it makes sense to attack. It depends on the game situation. But in multiplayer, that game situation was so skewed towards not swinging that really Wizards needed to do something. So um, I wanted to take a look at just these three and get a sense of how this is working and you know what how each of them are a little bit different from the other. So uh, the first one I wanted to look at was Goad. I personally love Goad. Uh, the idea behind Goad is uh, it's usually a card in it. Originally, it was it was mostly an enchantment. It would you could use you could play it on a creature, uh, and it would force a creature to attack. Nowadays, it's virtually any kind of card. So whether it's an aura or an enchantment that says opponent's creatures have to attack, or it's a sorcery or however, essentially what it says is it that creature usually I mean most of the time you're going to target an opponent. Sometimes you target your own creature, but most of the time you're targeting an opponent's creature and it says that creature has to attack an opponent. And if there aren't any opponents, then it just has to attack. It doesn't say it has to attack you. It could be a planeswalker you control. But in essence, Goad forces, an, forces a creature to attack an opponent that isn't you. Therefore, it's really only good in multiplayer. It has limited use in one-on-one. In -on -one. The idea that you're forcing a creature to attack could also just mean you're forcing it to tap because that way it's not blocking. Or it could just be a case of you don't really care if it attacks an opponent. What you care about is that it's swinging at someone and someone's going to get rid of it. It's a utility creature. So you goad it, force it to attack, and then your the other opponents have the opportunity to block and probably and po probably destroy it if that was your intent. That's kind of what goad is looking for. Goad has been a great mechanic. Uh, I, I really love it. Not only does it encourage players to use their creatures and swing, because if one of my creatures gets goaded and I have to swing at this person, if they have blockers, maybe it makes more sense for me to swing all out on that person because it, it provides more defense to the goaded creature. Or if I'm gonna send the goaded creature in and it's going to die, well then let's at least have it go in so it can absorb one of the blockers that are there and I can overwhelm my opponent with my other creatures. So Goad bring, but Goad brings those sort of things to the fore and makes you consider this kind of thing. Uh, or the creature's been goaded. All right, so it's going to attack there. And I know I'm going to lose it. And I'm really annoyed at the guy who just goaded my creature. So now I'm going to try and swing at him and see if I can't take out some of his stuff using every other creature that I have. So there's benefits there. Um, as far as using Goad, well... Like I said, you can use it as removal uh, by forcing it to attack an opponent. Um, you can use it as a way to get rid of one of their blockers. Uh, you can use it as a way to stop a creature from swinging at you. Uh, if they have some massive, uh, massive Eldrazi that you don't want to have to deal with the Annihilator trigger, you can goad it, force them to swing away and at, somewhere, at somebody else. All of these are great reasons to use goad. Um, and... Goad really forces the combat onto the game. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the cards now that you see, it's not just goad this one creature, because generally speaking, goad means you goad the creature for a single turn. Now, it's you have a way to repeatedly goad creatures, 
or you have uh, something that says every time you attack, if you do damage, somebody else gets goaded or all of this sort of thing. So it can be repetitive. So you can really force your opponents to start swinging. Um, it, it works out really well that way. Um, and I have really enjoyed having goad in a lot of my games, whether it's somebody else targeting one of my opponents, somebody targeting me or me targeting one of my opponents. It always adds a little something to the game because it forces everybody to look at it and say, okay, well, if that one creature is attacking, how does that change the game? How does that change the, the, the strategy behind what I'm doing? Um, and I really like that. The downside, though, for Goad, we're seeing it on so many cards now. It's getting to the point now where there are commanders and entire decks that are built, so, built entirely around Goad. If you were in a meta where a lot of people are using a lot of creatures and Wizards is making the creatures better and better, so a lot of, your, a lot of the meta involves a lot of creatures. A deck that can force most of those creatures to be attacking each other and not that one player can absolutely dominate. Um, and Goad stops being about combat actions and you know a piece of targeted removal, and it starts turning into just a control aspect of the game. I'm not really a fan of control decks, but beyond that, it just everybody else is now forced to attack each other. So even if that person who, who is running the go deck, if they are now the, the primary target in the game, it's very hard for the other three players to be able to do anything about that. So it means that as you're trying to win this game, you simply can manage to stay low enough and then all of a sudden you have taken over the board and there's really no way out. And, there's, and it's a, a more than just a soft, well, it's a soft lock, but it feels like it's a lot more than just a soft lock um, it can be very frustrating uh, to run up against this again and again. Goad then forces you, the only way to beat a Goad player who's doing this is by means other than combat damage. And that, the whole point of Goad was to encourage combat, was to encourage players to be attacking everybody. All this does is it turns it on its head and discourages players even more. If, if my opponent is just simply going to goad every creature that I have, Maybe it's time I just stop playing creatures or find creatures that are, that, that have defender or, uh, how, you know, how, work it or work around it in some way so that, uh, so that I'm fighting goad. And it's just, that's not the purpose of goad. The whole purpose of goad was to get people to play their creatures and, and use them and, and create combat, not, you know, make you annoyed that you actually have to swing. Uh, I mean, sometimes you just shouldn't have to swing and sometimes you should have, and most of the time it's far better when you've got the choice as to where you're going to go every time. So, um, so I am a fan of Goad. I wish it wasn't quite as prevalent as I, as we are beginning to see that it's, it's, it's becoming. So, um, the next one I want to talk about is Monarch. Monarch, for those of you who don't know, a number of cards out there. When they enter the battlefield, usually uh, the controller of the card becomes the monarch. Now, what the monarch does is if you're the monarch at the end of your turn, you draw a card. That's all. You lose the monarch when an opponent attacks you and deals combat damage to you. Now, they can't do combat damage to a planeswalker. They can't simply attack. They have to do combat damage to you. So it forces them to attack with creatures. I love this. 
the other nice so the nice part about monarch is you you will draw the card if you were the monarch it is extremely hard for somebody to become the monarch on their turn and then not be the monarch at the end of the turn because if you can only lose it through combat damage then that's uh it's going to be very rare when that when that can happen uh, I will say another way to become the another way to lose the monarch is if somebody else plays a card that says that they are the monarch. There are very few of them at instant speed, but of course, if a creature says that you can become the monarch, you can give creature that creature flash and just do it. But either way, whoever is the monarch on their turn will get to draw a card at the end of their turn. It's almost a guaranteed card draw. So if an opponent takes it, deals combat damage to you, takes the monarch, well then they get to draw the card on their on their end step. So in theory, you could go around the board and each person could attack. If, I, if I'm the monarch, the next person to go could attack me, do damage to me, become the monarch, draw a card. Then turn three in our scenario, then takes the monarch, then attacks turn player two, takes the monarch, they also draw the card. And it can work its way all the way around the board again and again. The difference though is that it requires combat damage, so life totals are going down. The other part is it also gives you more cards. So it's also speeding up the game in that you are going to have more cards. So you're going to have more answers for, for other issues that, that your opponents are playing. And if it goes around the board like that, it means everybody's getting that. So you're going to find your games go a little faster. Um, you're also going to find that um, you're, you know, your mana's better. I mean, simply put, if you're drawing extra cards, especially when you're talking about only getting one or two cards a turn and then you add the monarch in you're adding an entire card every turn so there's a real benefit to it now once the monarch is introduced uh, you will find that players will attack other players just for the monarch we've all played with cards where we take a point of damage to draw a card will you take two points of damage to draw a card three four will you give up a creature to do it Will you swing at somebody with two creatures knowing one of them is going to die just so you could do combat damage so you can take that, take it, and then get to draw a card? Uh, it's interesting because you get to find out just how far people are willing to go to become the monarch. The other thing that some people don't realize, and then they start to realize it as they play with the monarch a lot more. When you become the monarch, you didn't just pay to become the monarch by attacking. You paid because you know that the next the next person who gets the chance is going to take it from you, which means you are going to take damage. Now, how much damage are you going to take? Well, that depends. There, are, there have been times in games when I am not the monarch. I look at my opponent who is wide open. I can swing at my opponent and take the monarch. I will then be totally exposed. And my next opponent has a massive 8-8 creature that they're going to swing at me and smash me over the head because they want the monarch. Am I gonna take eight damage to draw that one card? Because all I have to do is not swing at the other guy. He's wide open. He still will be when the next player starts and swings his 8-8. Eight, eight. That, eight, eight that guy with the 8-8 eight, eight is gonna swing in at the monarch so he can draw the card. And the, guy, and the monarch's gonna take eight damage. So it's really, uh, so that's where the monarch sort of, uh, it adds layers of complexity to the game and it's just a lot of fun. Um, realistically, the downside for the Monarch, there are some, uh, some decks that are just really hard to attack. And once they've locked, once they've taken the Monarch, it's really hard to take it back. And then they're drawing double the cards that you're drawing. 
and that sort of tends to, uh, uh, it accelerates their position of power. So it makes it even harder and harder to get it, to get away, to get it away from them. Even if all three of you are trying to do it because they are drawing that extra card. They're now drawing two cards to your group's three. Uh, you, you know, in theory, you can still take it, but it gets harder and harder to do that. So Monarch does do that, but um, I have found that in most games, I am happy to see the Monarch hit the battlefield. Uh, it's always, uh, it, it just, it tends to help things along. And the earlier in the game, the more I like it because in these, though that early game, virtually every draw is worth something. It's like, ah, I got a land. You might not want that land in the later game, but in the early game, you're quite happy to see it. So I really like the Monarch. Uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, I like what they're doing now where they're adding more benefits or more downsides. Uh, and you know, I just talked about uh, uh, the, new, the new court cards recently where they come into play, they make you the Monarch, and then they do something on each of your upkeeps afterwards. And usually it's something minor or something significant if you are still the Monarch. So it's just another way, another reason why your opponents want to take the Monarch from you. Um, and I, I like where they're going with this. I like the extra, the extra points. They've created a new, uh, a, new, uh, a new gameplay mechanic. And I think that it's, uh, I think it's a, great, a great setup. So really enjoy that. Um, the last one I wanted to look at was the initiative. This is the, uh, the version of the dungeons with the Undercity. So what, the, what happens with the initiative is it comes into play just like the Monarch would. Um, there's random cards that when they enter the battlefield or do something, you gain the initiative. So what this means is you put the Undercity dungeon onto the battlefield. For those of you who don't know, you can look it up. The Undercity is essentially a dungeon. You start in the, in the opening and uh, the first uh, room of the dungeon. And then every time you get the initiative, you can move. So if you play another card that gives you the initiative, it allows you to move your token to the next room. And if there's a choice, you can pick whichever room. Um, the, the thing with the initiative is it also means that on your upkeep, you can move it to the next room. So if you kept the initiative through the turns and it's now your turn, you can now move to the next room. So you can see how it's similar to the Monarch in that essentially it comes out it gives the holder a benefit. The, the real difference here is it's a lot harder to get the benefit. To get the benefit, you have to have the card on your upkeep, which means you need to hang on to that Undercity through the entire round of play. So you've got three opponents who can now swing at you, and if they do combat damage to you, they take the initiative. So on your upkeep, you don't go anywhere. All they do is that they now put their token on that first room, and they get the benefit, and they're trying to keep the Undercity until their next upkeep so they can move to the next room. The, but the problem, of course, with the Monarch, or the benefit with the Monarch is that the, on your end step, you get the benefit. But with the initiative, you have to wait a longer time to get it. The other issue is most of the rooms are not as good as drawing a card. They're, they don't have the benefit of the Monarch. So the benefit of, of the initiative is less. So in a way, that works in favor of the player who initially who who bring who brought the undercity out in the first place, who had the initiative the first time, because your opponents are a little less interested in swinging at you. Sure, they don't want you to get that next room, but they're not super excited about doing whatever it takes to take it away from you. Um, so, 
it doesn't work quite as well as far as doing the co doing the combat issue. Um, the other issue I have with the Undercity, and you'll notice I've, I haven't listed off what each of the rooms do, because I don't remember. I need the card out there to tell me. Um, and so does everybody else. So every single time when you look around the board, you have to be like, oh, so what's the next room on the Undercity? So if I don't, if you still have it, you're gonna get that, okay. And if I swing at you, what do I get? I get to search for a land or I get, I, I whatever it is. It's just not, it, it's more, it, it's just so clunky in comparison to the Monarch. Um, and a lot of times players just simply look at the board and say, I, I don't care what the initiative is. It's not relevant. It's, it's a card with a massive wall of text that I keep having to go back to again and again and again. I mean, if a, if a Planeswalker had eight or nine abilities, your opponents aren't gonna be able to keep track of it. They're not gonna know. So having three abilities or four abilities or two makes it a little more understandable. And even the Planeswalkers with three abilities, most of the time I only care about the first two until the numbers start getting big. And then maybe I care about the third one. But it's just, with the initiative, there's so many things to keep track of, and it just doesn't feel like the payoff is worth it. Uh, I feel like the other benefit of the Monarch is you're drawing the cards and opponents are attacking. So you're advancing the board state in two areas. The initiative, you just need to have it. It feels less about advancing a board state and more about stopping somebody else from advancing their board state. And I appreciate the Monarch does the same thing, stopping them from advancing, but you get the benefit out of it. And so many times I feel like I'm swinging at the person with the initiative only because I just don't want them to have it. Their deck is built around it or somehow they're getting more out of it than the rest of us. So I just want to take it from them so they just can't have it, not because I care. So it gets a little frustrating that way. Um, I, it just so much text and it's so convoluted. So I think it's pretty obvious of the three. I definitely prefer the Monarch. Uh, it's just, it's so easy to understand, uh, meaning it's far better than the initiative because that is just, it's just very convoluted. And it's, uh, I feel like it advances the gameplay better, um, even better than Goad does. Uh, I mean, Goad forces somebody to attack an opponent. Okay, but Monarch just creates a level of strategy that... It's just, it's so much more engaging in the game. Uh, and it's just, I much prefer it over Goad. And I appreciate that, you know, putting the Monarch into play oftentimes means that your opponents are drawing more cards than you. And, uh, you know, we've all been told not to play Howling Mine because everybody gets to draw cards, which means more people are drawing than you are. But with the Monarch, you always feel like, well, I got a chance, I can keep it. Maybe I can keep it. Maybe nobody else will draw. Or you can say to yourself, Fine. I mean, I play a Queen Marchesa deck, and the purpose of it is to put the Monarch into play, take a point of damage, get rid of it, and let other people have to get targeted because they're the Monarch, while I, you know, build up some defenses and start making attacks, ignoring the Monarch completely, and let the opponents try and figure that out. So um, I, I like the way that, that really gets set up. So... That's about all I've got for you today. Uh, I want to thank all of you for watching and listening today. Uh, we'll be back next week with another cool episode. Uh, we are Temple of the False Pod, where our decks are not optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. I'm Andy. Uh, 
<laughs> I knew I was going to do it. I'm Bruce, and Andy and I will be back next week uh, to uh, to give you the, the full stereo sound of Temple of the Falls Pod. Uh, have a great night. Thank you for listening at, or watching, and may your fifth land be the temple. Bye! Wait, wait. Before you go, I uh, just wanted to say thank you for listening. You can reach out to us via email at falsepodmtg at gmail.com or on Twitter at falsepodmtg. Bruce is at manaburned and I'm at Andy Weekend, though you'll definitely notice I use the podcast Twitter far more often. Now that we've got you here, make sure you subscribe, like, rate us on uh, whatever podcast platform you use. It helps us out. It gets us more reach. Subscribe to us on our YouTube channel. Uh, like a video there. Leave some comments for more casual enjoyment. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with some more timeless discussions about all things casual. So come hang out, and may your fifth land be the temple. Bye-bye. Should I do my best, Bruce? Bye!